It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Len and Nicole Clamp wanted the joy of raising a child. They were given that opportunity when they became foster parents to little Grayson when he was only seven weeks old. They noticed something though was different about Grayson. After going through some testing, the doctors discovered that Grayson was completely deaf. The Clamps had had Grayson for almost a year and right after they received the news about his impairment, that is when they were given the opportunity to adopt. They decided that they could be the best parents for Grayson and went forward with that adoption. They learned different ways to communicate with Grayson. Grayson's being deaf was caused by the fact that he was born without the nerve that connects the ear to the hearing center of the brain. And so because of this, cochlear implants were not possible and they wouldn't help him. However, the doctors working with the clamps proposed a solution. They proposed an auditory brainstem implant. If approved, Grayson would be the first child to receive such an implant in the United States. So the doctors at the University of North Carolina Medical Center mapped out a careful surgery. They then performed that surgery in April of 2013. On May the 21st, they activated Grayson's device, and in now what is a very popular YouTube video, Grayson heard the voice of his father for the very first time. The look of utter surprise on his face is priceless. He had never actually heard before, and now was hearing for the very first time. You know, often when we learn new things, we are greatly surprised. Sometimes that is a welcome surprise and sometimes that is a surprise that is almost too much and is overwhelming. Over the last several weeks, we have been studying the question, is heaven for real? And our study has led us to look at what the Bible says about what happens to a person when they die. Now, if you've missed the last two weeks shows, you can go to our website, itiswrittencanada.ca, and there you can find the archive. Or you can go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash IIW Canada, and find the previous programs. The conclusion of our study may have led to surprise in many of our viewers. For some, it might have been a little shocking to realize that when someone dies, the Bible says that they are sleeping in a totally unconscious state awaiting the Lord's return. You know, friends, when I began studying the Bible and learned this for the very first time, I too was shocked. In fact, I was so shocked that it made me angry. How could I have been taught wrong for so long? But then I learned the origins of the idea of going immediately to heaven or immediately to hell. In fact, the concept that the body and the soul exist apart from one another comes from Greek dualism, which was derived from ancient Egyptian belief. Friend, we're not concerned about ancient Greek belief. We are concerned with what the Bible teaches. 
We're not concerned with Egyptian paganism or Greek philosophy. We want the word and only the word. Now today we are going to take a look and take some time to study some misunderstood texts in the Bible. Often I'll have people say to me, Pastor Chris, wait a second. What about the thief on the cross? Didn't Jesus say to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise? You know, it's amazing to me. There are over 1,600 passages in the Bible about the soul and not one of them ever speaks of the immortal soul. You see, the Bible is very clear when it says in Ecclesiastes 9.5, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. In over 50 places, the Bible says death is but a sleep. Unfortunately, however, there are a number of people that want to throw out hundreds of clear texts in the Bible about the subject of death and the second coming of Christ and about the resurrection. And instead, they want to accept Greek and Egyptian ideas about the immortality of the soul. See, we miss a very important principle of Bible study, and that is we start with passages that are clear and then move to the passages that are more challenging. We cannot base our beliefs on one or two or just a few texts, but we must go by the preponderance of the evidence. So what about that thief on the cross? What happened that day? The closing chapters of the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke tell the story of the final moments of Jesus' life here on this earth. When Jesus was crucified, the Bible records that he was crucified between two thieves. And these two thieves were not the finest of fellows. In fact, Matthew chapter 27 tells us about these thieves. Then two robbers were crucified with him one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are in fact the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. One nailed on either side of Christ. Both of them reviled, both of them complained, and both of them insulted Jesus. But while those criminals hung next to Jesus, something began to happen. One of them saw Jesus, a completely innocent man, dying on the cross, yet he did not retaliate. Jesus did not complain. In fact, Jesus asked God to forgive those that had hung him on the cross. The book of Luke adds further insight into this story and demonstrates the transformation that began to happen in one of those robbers. Luke chapter 27. 39 to 42. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? 
And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That thief began to experience the transformation of his heart. He looked at Jesus and saw that Jesus was the Messiah of the world. He looked at Jesus and saw the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then that thief cries out to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How then does Jesus respond? In Luke 27, 43, this is what Jesus said. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And it is here that we have a misunderstood text What is this text really all about? Is Jesus saying to that thief, I say to you today, this day, that I've got the crown of thorns on my head, this day that I've got the nails in my hands, this day that I'm dying on the cross, this very day that it doesn't look like I can save anybody, I say to you this very day, you will be with me in paradise. Or is it possible that there is a different meaning to the text? You see, it all depends on where you put that comma. If you put that comma before the word today, the text seems to read, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It seems to say that Jesus was assuring the thief he would be in paradise with him that very day. But if you put the comma after today, look at the difference in the meaning of the text. Assuredly, I say to you today, In other words, this day, I'm hanging on the cross. This day, with the nails through my hands, I'm making this statement to you today. You will be with me in paradise in the future. Somebody says, well, Pastor Chris, when were those commas put in the Bible? Well, it's interesting. The commas were not in the original text. When it was written in the first century, The commas weren't there. The commas were placed in the Bible 1,300 years later during the Middle Ages. Now somebody says, Pastor Chris, how do you know where to put the comma? You know where to put the comma because of the fact that the Bible has to harmonize. The Bible can't be broken. If the commas weren't in the original text, if the commas weren't put in there for 1,300 years later, And if indeed the Bible is very clear in telling us that death is but a sleep, then you put the commas exactly in harmony with the rest of the Bible. You do not throw out the clear teachings of the Bible on the subject of death and sleep and then accept some Egyptian idea of the immortality of the soul based on a comma that was put there 1,300 years after the Bible was written. No, there's another reason why you know that that comma has to be after the word today and not before. And that is, how could Christ promise the thief that he would be there with him in paradise that very day if Jesus himself never went to paradise that very day? Now, some say, wait a second, what are you talking about? What are you talking about Jesus not going there? The Bible tells us that Jesus died on the preparation day or Friday. Many of us know that today as Good Friday. The next day was the Sabbath and Jesus slept and he rested in the tomb on the Sabbath. 
And the next day, the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, he was raised from the dead. Easter Sunday, as it is recognized by many today. Now, do you remember the story of Resurrection Day? Mary went to the tomb to embalm his body. She didn't know that he had risen from the dead. There, through her teary eyes, she saw the empty tomb. Then she saw someone. She thought it was a gardener, but it wasn't the gardener. It was Jesus. And listen to how this story unfolds in John, the 20th chapter, verses 15 to 17. She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Did you hear those words? He hadn't yet ascended to heaven. If he hadn't yet ascended to heaven on Sunday, how could he have said to the thief on Friday that they would be together in a place that he did not go to until Sunday? It is, friends, because he wasn't telling the thief on Friday that they were going to be in paradise together that day. You see, it is that comma that makes the difference. Because Jesus was saying, I say unto you today, this day, that I'm dying on the cross, this day with blood running down my head, I'm promising you today that you will be with me in paradise when I come again to resurrect the dead. A simple comma makes all the difference in the world. I am thankful that Jesus' word makes it plain. Aren't you? Jesus' word makes it so plain. He was saying to the thief, you don't need to fear death today. You don't need to fear the grave today. And the reason you don't need to fear death is because through my death on the cross, you can have eternal life. Wherever you are today, you don't need to fear death. Jesus Christ speaks to you today. Because of his death on the cross, you can have eternal life. Because of his death on the cross, your sins can be forgiven. Because of what he did, 1 Corinthians 15, 55 will come true. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is victory in Jesus over death. Victory in Jesus over the grave. The tomb of Jesus Christ is empty. And our tomb can be opened and emptied as well when Jesus Christ returns. The same Christ that ascended will descend. The same Christ that went is going to return. This is the lesson of the thief on the cross that those of us who are in the grave when Jesus comes again have the assurance that he, Jesus is coming to wake us up 
and take us home. Now, some will ask further questions about this subject, and they'll talk about the prophet Samuel. Doesn't the Bible say that the prophet Samuel came back to life and visited as some disembodied spirit? Now, again, friends, we have seen ample evidence from the Bible that tells us death is like a sleep. But there is a story about Samuel. Let's go and see what the Bible actually says about that story. It's in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, the 28th chapter, verses 7 to 15. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I would like for us to take notice of several important points in this passage. First, Saul is acting in direct disobedience to God. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 to 14, forbids the consulting of a medium. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Friends, God calls the art of witchcraft or attempting to call up the dead an abomination. Why? Because it is in direct contradiction to his word. 
Secondly, in 1 Samuel 28, 14, the Bible says that Saul perceived that it was Samuel. But could it have really been Samuel? Of course not. We've said it over and over again. Ecclesiastes 9, 5 is clear. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Friends, this was a witch who was using the art of deception and mystical practices. The Bible says that Satan will also deceive many. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Friends, this wasn't Samuel, but this was some demonic being impersonating Samuel in order to deceive Saul. The dead are simply sleeping, waiting for Jesus to return. Samuel was resting in his grave and couldn't be awakened by anyone other than Jesus. Friends, the Bible is very plain that the dead are sleeping, awaiting the return of Jesus. Now, some will say that Paul advocates people going straight to heaven. They say that he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. But what does it really say? So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Friend, is Paul advocating an existence apart from the body? No. He is stating what the Bible clearly teaches. Friends, while we are in these mortal bodies, we are absent from the Lord. When is it that we come to be present with the Lord? Well, Paul is very clear in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. It is at the last trumpet that we are raised incorruptible. It is at the last trumpet that we then are present with the Lord. And again, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. When are we present with God and receive that crown of righteousness? It is after the second coming of Jesus. Until that time, we rest in the grave waiting for the return of Jesus. Now, I know some have claimed to have had near-death experiences, where they've claimed to have gone to heaven and visited loved ones. Now, I want to be very careful. I want to be very sensitive not to offend anyone. But friends, we need to concern ourselves with what the Bible says. We cannot be deceived by emotions or feelings or perceived feelings. Several scientists believe that these near-death experiences 
can actually be explained physically. Neuroscientist Dean Mobs says this about near-death experiences. Many of the phenomena associated with near-death experiences can be biologically explained. In addition, a 2005 study found that out-of-body experiences can be artificially triggered. How? By stimulating the right temporal parietal junction in the brain, suggesting that confusion regarding sensory information can radically alter how one experiences one's body. But friends, science doesn't have the best answer. The Bible has the best and only answer to these questions. The Bible records at least nine resurrections. And in not one of these cases is there a recorded story of the afterlife. The Bible is clear over and over again that when we die, we sleep awaiting the resurrection of Jesus. There's no consciousness, no recognition of time, It will be like one of those nights, we've all had them, where you lay your head on the pillow and seemingly just moments later after you have closed your eyes, that alarm goes off. But in actuality, six hours, seven hours or eight hours have passed. When we fall asleep in Jesus, the next moment will be Jesus awakening us with that last trumpet there doesn't need to be any fear of death. No fear of what happens when we die. As we give our hearts, as we give our lives to Jesus, we are secure in him and we never have to fear. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18 promises, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Friends, Jesus defeated death and he's coming again to destroy death and sin forever. In the kingdom of God, we will live with him forever. Don't you want to place yourself fully in the trust of his arms? Why not to decide to follow him fully today? Why not decide to give yourself fully to Jesus? Lord, we give ourselves fully to you today. Take care of us and remember us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The subject of heaven, especially the subject of death and what happens after you die, can be a confusing subject. I want to offer to you today the Signs of the Times special edition on death. Here's the information you need to get today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. 
That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H7B4. I hope you enjoyed today's program. Please join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.